You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we begin a nine-week series that will take us on a journey through the book of Psalms. We won't be covering all of them, but picking just a few to dive into through the coming weeks. Today, Pastor Josh begins with Psalm 1. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would encourage and challenge us as we hear from His Word today. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Psalm 1, the first psalm that we have? Uh, Generally, if you just open your Bible to the middle uh, and then go back just a little bit, you're going to find your way into Psalms. There's an awful lot of them, but we're in the very first one today. Uh, As you are turning uh, there, you will know that we are not in Romans for the first time in a very long time. Uh, And and I am so honored that we have had that chance of 30 weeks together in in God's Word. Thankful that last week, Jordan 2 brought an incredible word out of Colossians. Can we praise God for Jordan 2? We are so thankful for him. Our middle school associate did an incredible job last week and so honored uh, to serve on staff with him. Um, But this week, we begin a new sermon series. This one's not 30 weeks. It's only nine. Um, I got vetoed on my other plan. I had a plan for Psalms, and it was going to be absolutely great. Uh, Although there were a lot, we were going to take um, 10 Psalms for the next 15 years over 15 summers. And they were like, I I don't know, Josh. I don't know if you'll be here. I don't know if we'll be here. And so what we're going to do now is we're just going to go with nine of them. We're going to pick nine, and we're just going to run with it, okay? So today, we jump into week one of nine weeks in Psalms. Uh, And then you probably, if you grew up in church, or you grew up uh, in God's Word. Maybe this is one of the first places you begin to read, uh, a place where you begin to fall in love with the beauty and the supremacy and the, the sovereignty of, of God and how, how he, he lives today and how He loves you still. But maybe you are journeying with us today and you say, Josh, I've always known the word Psalm. Uh, I've seen that uh, across pictures or or maybe in my Bible, but I've never really read it because I don't know what it means. Psalms, its most simple meaning is song. Like, like these are things that the Hebrew people would sing. So, so in your mind, if you look at 150 Psalms that make up the Psalms, think of it as the Hebrew hymnal. Uh, this would be what the, the Hebrew people would, would gather together and they would sing. To put this together, there are many authors who have constructed these psalms. Um, all the way uh, beginning with Moses. One psalm belongs that we believe to Moses. And then as we journey on, David writes a majority of the psalms. I think 40, uh, close to, to 40 something. There's just a lot of psalms that he is writing, or 74 that he is writing. Uh, and so we, we get other authors as well. And, and we'll see that as we journey through some of these nine But at the same time, one thing that the Psalms are useful for, not just in singing, not just in congregational music, but it's the idea for us to understand who God is, understand how he loves us and and the call that he has placed on our life. They are filled with truth that makes it clear where we stand with him. Like even today in Psalm 1, there is a very, hopefully, I pray, and I've prayed this for you all week as I've prayed it for myself, a very visceral reaction to where you are standing currently with God. Because as we know, it is very possible and even sometimes probable that we can play the religious game. We can wear the clothes, we can buy the books, we can do the thing, but deep down on the inside, we know that something is either completely right or all the way off. 
And so psalms are some of those things that God has gifted to us in his grace that are going to allow us to not only see him for who he truly is, but also to see us for who we truly are. And I pray that even as we jump in today, that will happen for you and I both. Now, even though we, we see there are a lot of good things about the Psalms, we, we see in the New Testament, crazy I know, because the New Testament even isn't even thought of when the Psalms are being written, but the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he makes a statement about the totality of God's Word. This is what he says, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Just write that reference down, go back and read it. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, even though I don't believe that the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking to Pastor Timothy, had Psalms in his view, I believe it was absolutely on his heart. Because as we understand this, the Psalms are a part of the Scriptures the, 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 the word of God that Paul would be referencing when he speaks to Timothy in that way. So when we read it in 2 Timothy, what are the Psalms useful for? They're useful for a lot, for reproof, correction, training, for teaching, so that we may not be lacking in anything. Every word of these Psalms have been given to us for the glory of God and for our good. And so... As we read through these Psalms, we pray. We pray along with the ancient Hebrews in the same way that God would show us who he is and show us who we are. The Psalms are made up of a collection of 150 Psalms. But this is only a nine-week series, so we are going to pick nine and roll with them. Here's our list. If you got the email this week, you know what they are. We're picking Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 5, Psalm 13, Psalm 19, Psalm 23, Psalm 34, Psalm 42, and 46. Josh, why did you pick such an erratic list of psalms? Well, there's a whole lot of advantages to these, this, this grouping, okay? We get an introduction and purpose of all the psalms in today. We'll see that today in just a moment. We, we really get that in all of Scripture as we're going to understand it. We get a taste of the different categories of psalms. Uh, Mike just talked about psalms of lament. Um, there are fun words like imprecatory psalms. Um, that's the psalms that the psalmist would pray, um, that if somebody was maybe being offensive to them, uh, they would pray that God's glory would be made known and also that God would go get them real good. Uh, you, you'll get some of that, okay? So, that, so that's in there. Some of you have been praying imprecatory psalms for life, but you didn't know what they were called. Rest easy, my friends. They're there. We'll get a taste of the different categories. We'll get to see uh, some of the different authors. But honestly, Josh, why did you pick this group? Because honestly, these are some of my favorites. And I get to preach most of it, so I get to pick my favorites. So that being said, we get to jump in to Psalm 1 this morning. But before you do... If your Bible has a ribbon, I want you to put it in Psalm 1, and I want you to turn all the way over to Psalm 150. It's the very last one. If you get to Proverbs, you went too far. If you get to Maps, you went way too far. Go to Psalm 150. We won't get to this Psalm this summer, that's why I'm referencing it this morning, but I want you to better understand the Psalm that we are going to read, and to do so, you need to understand Psalm 150. This is where the Psalms are going. 
They are in progression. They are moving us somewhere. The, the God's sovereign plan for all of this is helping us get to a destination. They are, by God's perfect design, bringing us to a place of unimaginable worship, a place of worship that is not affected by who we are or what we have done, but a place of worship that is completely reliant on who God is, what he's done, and what he continues to do. So Psalm 150 is the culmination of all the Psalms. Let's read that together. Psalm 150, verses one and following. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is where the Psalms are taking the singers, the readers, the family of God, and it's where they're taking us as well. As I said in the intro, the Psalms have very little to do about who you are and what we've done and everything to do with who God is, what he has done and what he continues to do. That is where our worship is rooted in. That's why we can sing songs like Cornerstone and we can say with all that we are through the storm, he is Lord. His faithfulness and goodness is not dependent on how good of a day you've had or what type of season that we may find ourselves in. He is faithful and he is good, period, end of story. So you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I hear that, but I'm not there. My heart is not moved by the grandeur and the glory of God. I, I want a heart that rejoices for God, but something just seems off. Or maybe, maybe on the other side of that, maybe you're sitting here this morning and this is the best your life has ever been. And you say, I, I don't know if I could express to you why it is that way, but I'm just telling you, I know life is awesome because God is awesome. This is a place that is going to help us better Psalm, understand Psalm 1. So now go back to Psalm 1. And we're going to jump in. If this psalm had a title that I could give it, it would be the choice of two roads. And as we remember, this psalm is going to be the setup psalm for all the remaining, all the remaining 49, 149. It's also, I would say, going to be the setup verse, verses, for all of Scripture. Because we, as God's people, we are set in front of us two paths to take. One path is going to lead to abundant life, and one path is going to lead to sure destruction. And the choice that you make matters eternally. So with that being said, let's jump into verse 1. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, the first word here, it's the, the same word if you were going to the Beatitudes. And I know uh, we, have, we have a Hebrew translation and a Greek translation, but essentially it's the same word. Uh, when, when you get to, to the Beatitudes and, and it would say happy is the man or blessed is the man, it's the same meaning. But, but the word here is exceeding joy that overflows. And so the way that the Psalms start, it says there's exceeding joy that overflows 
with someone, and then there's something strange that happens. He begins to give these negative illustrations, and what I mean by negative is this. He says, exceeding joy comes from the person that doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked and doesn't stand in the way of sinners and doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And this may sound strange, to begin a promise of good, of blessing, and the way that you would get that promise of good or obtain that promise of good would be by abstaining from something. I want to be clear from the front end here, this psalm nor any of the others, I would say even any of the other parts of the Bible, this is not legalistic teaching. This isn't saying if you try harder to do better, then you're going to get more and more blessing will come your way. What the psalmist is saying here is there is a great warning that we need to understand as we journey. Here's the warning. As a child of God, someone who by God's grace has been made born again, the promise of blessing is already yours. The warning now comes, what are you going to do with that blessing? What are you going to do with the grace that God has bestowed upon you and on your family? But you have a choice. I have a choice. We have many choices, actually, that will determine how and when we take hold of this promise of good, this promise of blessing. So, so here's the warning, and it's a progressive warning. Number one, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. This warning is this. Be careful to who you look for truth and life from. Be careful who you look for truth and life from. This progression of life, of, of walking and standing and sitting, that's going to happen. What we need to guard against as God's beloved people is who we walk, stand, and sit with. There, there's this illustration and this imagery that's coming through in, in this poetry. It is this idea that in life we are searching for something. We are walking. We are moving around. Where is truth? Where is life? Where can I find it? And we know as God's people, it is found in him and him alone. Yet, this world is calling at us as we walk. Hey, look over here. See what I've got right here. I've got something that's great. That's why the Apostle Paul fights against this heresy taught in the New Testament called Gnosticism so hard. This idea of knowledge that, that you have Jesus, but I'm going to give you something more that's going to lead you to better life and better truth. So as you are walking, I want you to come over here. Be careful, Christians. Because at some point, something is going to capture your heart. It's going to catch your eye, and your walk is going to stop, and you're now going to stand. And as you stand, because now you are intrigued, now you want to learn, now you're trying to figure out what's going on, and it's in that standing that we begin to get in trouble. Because what's the next progression from standing? It's sitting. And we now become what we behold. And so as we are walking, the walking stops to a stand, the standing stops to a sit, and this is who we are. So the psalmist here is making, out of, out of the gate, these are the first words of the Psalter as we see this, and it is a warning to all of God's people, be careful, be careful who you tie yourselves to. 
not the wicked that we should admire. It's not the wicked that we should say, I want what you have. It should be the other way around. So we don't walk with the wicked. We don't stand with the sinners. We don't sit with the scoffers. For when we do that, church family, we lose sight of the blessing that has been trusted to us. The warning is this, be careful, be careful to who you look for life and truth from. If you were looking for life and truth in the counsel of the wicked, those that don't belong to God, it won't be, it won't be long before you stand with sinners. And hear me out, hear me out. I know you could hear this, and if you're new to Broadmoor, or you're even new to faith, and you're just searching, well, Josh, that, that sounds really mean. It sounds like you're saying you can't be like everybody else. You cannot, Christian, be like everybody else. You were bought with a price. You were not your own. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. Oh, church, we need to hear this. In the day and age, in in the place that we live today, we need to hear this message resound in our heart. We are not like the world. This place is not our home. But if you lose sight of that truth and you begin to live for the here and now, your walk will turn to a stand, will turn to a sit, and then you're doomed. We have to understand who we are and whose we are. When we sit with scoffers, this is after the walk has slowed to a stand and the stand has become the sit. This is the end of the progression. This is the height of the warning. To sit with a scoffer is to become one with them. You will begin to love what they love. Their home, their seat, will become your home and your seat. So how do we heed this warning? How do we make sure that this is, this is not, that's heavy for one verse out of the Psalms. Verses two and three tell us how we can fight against this. How, how, how can we make sure that we, when we walk and when we stand and when we sit, we are doing so in the right places and not the wrong places. How do we do that as God's chosen people? Verse two and three tell us that. Verse two says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law He meditates day and night. Whose delight? Whose delight when it says his delight is in the law? Whose delight? It is the blessed person. The person who is blessed delights in the law of the Lord. The the law of the Lord being the instruction of God. And on his law and on that instruction, he meditates day and night. The blessed person loves God's word. They think about it all the time. They read it as often as they can. They consume it every chance that they get. They know where they should find truth. They know where they can find life. And it is not through the wicked, the sinners, or the scoffers. Now, you may say, Josh, this has come out of the gate pretty hot. I didn't expect this for a while week set right behind us and us to come out this hot. Let me show you how seriously the Hebrews took this and God gave this to the Hebrew people, okay? So again, if you're writing uh, notes so you can go back and study later, or if you're really good at Bible drills and you can find this, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy six, we'll be fast, okay? This is how seriously Hebrew people took this. This is how seriously God took this and still takes this today. Deuteronomy chapter six. Starting in verse 4 and following. This is called the Shema. 
This is something that the Hebrew people would recite daily, but do always. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and following. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. That sounds familiar, right? Verse 6. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Just in case you may be asking the question, Josh, is this metaphorical? No, this is literal. If we could go back in time, and even still some devout Jews today, you would see them in certain seasons of their life, and they would be wearing this thing around their head with a box sitting right here, and inside of it are the Holy Scriptures. On their hands, you were going to see the scriptures. At their house, you were going to see it on the doorpost of their house, on the gates coming into their, their, their living place. They're going to be diligent to teach this to their children that when they wake up and when they go out and when they come back and when they sit down and when they go to sleep and when they wake up in the morning. Why? Because this is what it is to live a blessed life. This is where we find truth in life. Like, guys, if, if just all transparency on the table right now, like incredibly convicted that as I read this and prepare for this, even a week away at the beach to, to enjoy God's creation. Also, can we just talk about how it's not really a vacation with four kids at the beach? We can talk about that a whole nother day. Great time. Loved it. Wonderful. Woo, I need a vacation from the vacation. But if I were to take how much time I spent in this book, and then how much time I spent on that phone. Not necessarily in the Bible app. It's embarrassing. But I find myself, and this is just truth, because I, I want to share with you, because I believe that we're all in this boat together. Why do we find ourselves so anxious when we lay our heads down at night? Well, probably because we've just doom scrolled for the last two hours before we went to bed. Probably because every news story we read is filled with hate and bitterness. Every story that you pull up online is pointing you to disaster right around the corner. Every feed that you look on somebody else's, their life is better than yours. They're prettier than you are. They got more stuff than you. It's just filters. We are walking and standing and sitting in the wrong places. And we wonder why we don't feel blessed. We wonder why we feel like our life is a shell of what we hoped it would be. And God's word is very, very crystal clear for us that this book is where we're going to find life. It's this book that's pointing to God. And he is who is going to sustain us and fulfill us and give us worth. It is not this world. Yet far too often we look only in the world to see who we are. And it leaves us even more sad about our current state. So the question now becomes, do we delight in God's word? If, if that's where the, the promise of blessing comes from, are we delighting in God's word? 
This is hard. It's hard for me to say. It's hard for you. I think you're going to hear and it's going to be hard. It's really hard for us to delight in something that we don't know and we don't read. Again, this is not a try harder, do better. I'm not asking you about your Bible reading plan habits. But if, the, if, if this is true, and I believe it is, I believe that you believe this is true. And you read this at best, at best, one or two verses a day. At best. At worst, you read it today because I preached it and you'll read it next Sunday because I'll preach something else. But this is where we find blessing. This is where we find life. Church, what I'm going to ask you is the same thing I ask me all the time. Why do you run to other things when you know it will not satisfy you? And that's something I believe all of us have a different answer for. But at the core of it, we don't necessarily believe that this is true. And we've got to fight for that. We've, we've got to fight for, for that moment. We've got to nail that in the ground and believe that this is true and what it says we should do. It is really hard for us to delight in something that we don't know. It's really hard for us to delight in something that we don't read. It's really hard for our kids to delight in something that they've never heard us be excited about. It's really hard for our families to value something that we never see modeled. This is really, really tough stuff. So step one to living a blessed life is to read and study God's word. Step one for not walking and standing and sitting with the wrong crowd is to read and study God's word. You'll never know what truth is if all you do is surround yourself by a lie. There's a promise in doing this. This is, this is how verse one works with the blessing. Verse 3 says this, the blessed person, he, is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. All right, so the illustration is an agricultural one, but the point is crystal clear, and it's this. When you delight yourself in God's word, when you read it, when you think on it, when you apply it to your life, you become like a tree planted by the streams of water. Not a wild tree that just so happens to get lucky and grow in a good spot. You are planted sovereignly, purposefully, by the streams of water, by life. You will yield fruit and your leaves will not wither and all that you do, you will prosper. By delighting in the law of God, by loving his instruction. So Josh, wait, time out. Are you saying that if I read a few verses a day, I get all this? Yes and no. Hear me out. Why are you reading the few verses a day? Or why are you reading the four chapters a day? Or why are you reading a book of the Bible a day? Why are you in this book? That matters just as much as being in the book. Okay? If the answers are, I want to feel better about myself, therefore I want to do some religious work, so I'm going to read, or if I want to be able to say, I checked off my religious to-do list today, then I would say, no, that's not how that works. I believe that you can read the Bible from front to back over the course of the week, and you still be lost. 
but if you're reading a few verses today or a book of the Bible a day because you love God's word and you want to think on those verses throughout the day, you want to hide his word in your heart that you may not sin against him, that you're always looking for ways to apply what you've learned and been challenged by. If this is you, then I would say the answer to that is yes. This is where the blessing comes from. So the first three verses were about the road that leads to blessed living. The final three verses are about the road that leads to destruction. Here's verse four. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. So the wicked are not like, they're not like so. So what? So, so what are they not like? They're not like the blessed person. They are not planted by streams of water that produce good fruit and leaves that don't wither. They are like chaff. I know, we're in Madison. Man, a lot of folks may not know what chaff is. I gotta Google what chaff is. The best definition I got that I think I understood the best is it's dead plant dust. I don't know if that's a good definition, but I like the way it sounded. And it's this idea that there was once life, but now it's lifeless. It was once useful for a part of a growing season, but now that season's over and it is, it is absolutely useless and it is tossed to and fro by whatever direction the wind blows. And the Bible says that's what the wicked are like. They are like chaff. They are not blessed. They are not uh, planted by the streams of water of life. They're blown wherever the wind blows. Verse 5 says this, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Since there is no life in the wicked, they will not stand. And it's, it's not this idea of stand like they're not gonna make it and be judged. No, they will, but they're not gonna survive the judgment because there is, there is nothing in them that would withstand God's perfection. They will not be counted in the congregation of God's children, the righteous. I know this sounds heavy. But at the end of the day, the question that we need to answer together and you need to answer and I need to answer individually is this. Do you love God? I know that sounds like a strange question to be asking on a Sunday morning in a church full of people who woke up and battled all the elements to come into this place. But the question still must be asked. Do you love him? Do you delight in his voice? Do you desire his wisdom? Do you crave his word? But one last thing before we wrap up. Our worship team will come back up here, but, but please, this is, I don't, this is what I want you to hear from me today. I need to address this before we move forward. One thing that we as humanity, um, fallen humanity, are really good at is good at hiding when we feel exposed like, like whenever we feel like we're caught or we feel like we're inadequate, the first thing, the first thing that our carnal hearts are going to want to do is to cover up or to make ourselves in some way something that when other people look at us, it doesn't look that bad or we can deflect away from the real matter at hand. And so when we hear a sermon like this or you read verses like this, there should be tension that builds. Because what the Psalms are going to do is the same thing the Gospels are going to do, the same thing that the letters of the New Testament are going to do. It's going to show you that you and I as humans are insufficient. We are insufficient to be righteous in our own self. 
And we need someone to come and rescue us in our insufficiency. And so this morning, I'm not asking you to hear this and say, man, Josh is right. I need to read the Bible more. Man, when I read the Bible, I need to apply it more. Maybe you do need to read the Bible more. I don't ever think that there's somebody that says, "Ah, I think you read the Bible enough. But that's not the point. The point is, do you love God? Has your heart been made new where you love him and the things of him? Do you desire his wisdom? Do you desire his voice? This passage does not teach try harder to be better. The promise of blessing is not for those that read their Bible more than others. This passage teaches, and so does all of the Bible, that those who delight in God, those who love him, those that love his word, they are the ones that are going to receive the blessing. Do you know why? Because the blessing is him. That's the blessing for us. It is not, oh, I read the Bible today, I prayed today, I lived an honest and righteous life, therefore, God, give me good things. No, the greatest thing God can give us is himself. That is the blessed life. And so when we read this book, that's how we know him. That's how we hear from him. That's how we love him. That's why it was such a big deal whenever we get to John and then we begin to look at, at how Jesus comes on the scene and the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. You want to be blessed? Be in the word. What's the word that we have now? We have these 66 books and we have the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is not a fake it till you make it kind of deal. To prove the point, I want you to look at the last verse today, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows you. The Lord knows me. He knows our heart. He knows right where we are today, right now, and in this moment. And what he tells us is this, that the wicked will perish. Josh, what what do I do? I want to delight in God, but I feel stuck. I want to point you back to the gospel. I want to point you back to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is how we'll end our time today and move into an invitation time and an opportunity for response and giving. It is this, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not, what's the word? Perish, but have everlasting life. It is not try harder to be better. It is not make yourself more religious so you look better than those who are next to you. Do you love God? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father unless they come through me. If you love him, Christ is our only way. How do you know Christ? How do you know what it is to believe in him? This book tells you all about it. Not only does it tell you the plan of salvation, it tells you the life of blessing. And I would encourage you, church family, 
that in all the ways that we spend time in a day, there is no better time spent than in this book. I know that may sound daunting to you because sometimes reading the Bible is hard. So let's start at a base level. If you have a book called the Bible and it's not Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, I wanna tell you right now, it is a translation of those languages. So I know some of us come from a very long line of religion and your grandmama passed down that KJV to you that passed to your mama and your mama passed to you, you pass to the grandbabies. But if you cannot read that book, it's doing you no good. What's the best Bible translation? The one you can read and the one you will read. Get a Bible that you can read, that you can understand and read it. You don't need commentaries. You don't need a study Bible. Read it. The Holy The Bible tells us as we read this, it is supernatural what it does for us. We gain understanding from the Holy Spirit. Like this isn't this is an invitation to sit with God every day. And yet we settle for things that have no eternal value. They have no earthly value. But we will spend hours scrolling or wasting time and wonder why we are in the place that we're in. We love John 3:16 where it ends but I would say that there's an encouragement from the next two verses. So let me read these two, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. As we come to the end of this song, there are two roads the way that leads to life and the way that leads to death. Do you need one more encouragement? I'll give it. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter seven. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus speaks the same word. There are two roads. A road that leads to life and a road that leads to death. The road that leads to death looks well-traveled because it is. It looks wide and spacious. It looks like there's a lot of life there, but there's not. The other road, the road of the blessed man and woman, that's the road that leads to life. Josh, how will I know that road? How will I know if I'm on it? This details every step. It identifies landmarks. It tells you when you're in the right way and in the wrong way. And by God's grace, as long as you have breath in your lungs, there's still time to change paths. So as we move to our invitation time this morning and our time for, for giving and offering, I want to be crystal clear with you. Everybody in here, as far as I can tell, still has breath in their lungs, and we praise God for that. The question I want to ask you is, what path are you on? The core of that question is, do you love God? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ that he may redeem you 
and restore you back to the Father. Do you know that to be true because you've lived and loved this book? If the answer to that is no, Josh, honestly, that's not who I am, but I want it to be, then start today. There's a word, it's kind of a a big churchy word, but it's a word that we all need to know and live it out every day. It's called repentance. And we repent of that wayward life. We repent of that wrong road. We repent of loving ourselves more than God. And we say, God, it's not just I'm sorry, but it's a course correction. And we say, God, my life is yours. So that's the invitation for you today. That's the invitation for us every day. That we go down the path that has been chosen for us, that has been marked out for us, and that we may run that race for God's glory and for our good. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction and the joy that it brings. I just thank you, God, that as we read this, sometimes it feels heavy, and yet it feels like the most freeing thing that we could ever hear. And so, Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters across this room right now, God, maybe watching right now online, God, that you would show us, illuminate to us, Holy Spirit, by your power, what road we are on. Are we living the blessed life? Are we living the life that leads to destruction? Help us, Father. Help us walk by faith and not by sight. And to do so, help us be lovers of your word. For it is the only way that we get to know you, to see you and experience you. I pray now, even as we begin to take this offering for the first time in over three years, I pray, God, that whatever it is that we do and however we give this morning will be for your glory and it will be out of a glad and generous heart. For, Father, all of our life, all of it belongs to you. And we ask you to bring yourself glory from it. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. And we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?